Always good to see the body of Christ fellowshipping with one another. All right. We have uh, fellowship time after church for those who would like to stay a bit. I'm going to run through just a few announcements. This coming Wednesday evening, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 13 and 14. I titled it The Exodus as we have the children of Israel going through the 10 plagues. And now they are leaving Egypt and they'll be at the Red Sea crossing in chapter 14. So we'll be looking at the initial stages of the Exodus um, before they get into the wilderness stage of that 40 year long journey that they end up taking. But it wasn't necessary, as we'll learn as we go through the book of Exodus. They took a long time in the wilderness that God never intended for the children of Israel to take. And I think sometimes we can relate to that in our own lives, that sometimes we take a long time uh, getting around to where the Lord would have us in the first place. Next Sunday after church, so we've had an increase, as I mentioned last week, in Wednesday evening in the children's ministry. We have Sure Foundation Church joining us. During our Wednesday evening service, they brought with them a lot of kids, and uh, there could be some help downstairs. And I've always wanted since the beginning of being the pastor here at the church, it used to be that only the adults came on midweek service. There was no children's ministry. And most of those adults were part of the worship team because they would stay to ungodly hours like 12 and 1 a.m. worship practicing for Sunday. Um, I never did that, but it was a large part just adults and parents would, you know, take turns coming to church. That's how it was when we began, uh, Lily and I. When I began my ministry here at the church, but I always wanted the whole church to be able to come to church together in the midweek children's ministry, kids being taught uh, as the adults also being taught. But it is taking a toll. We'll have a meeting just kind of planning what steps we might take. And it does not exclude the possibility of saying to the Sure Foundation people who's visiting us coming on Wednesdays, they even changed one of their Bible studies that they could be here with us, but also including them and how they could serve during the midweek service as well. But I want to talk about that next week after church. Speaking of next week, Pastor Kevin will be presenting the message for us on March 20th. David Fiorazzo is going to, the plan is for David Fiorazzo to be with us on March 20th to present a message from God's word, and we look forward to having David even before he was, uh, which had become a very popular podcast, Stand Up for the Truth, even before he was doing that podcast, David was a friend of this fellowship, as his wife Rosanna as well, and uh, it'll be good to have David come and share God's word with us once again, and just a reminder, you can read the remainder That's in the bulletin, but the prayer updates, if you're not part of that email list, even if you're listening on the radio or watching through social media and you want to be part of that prayer list, just let us have your email here at the church. You can write it down um, in the space provided for you at the bottom of the bulletin, but you could email us 
Email the church and let us have that email. We'll make sure you're part of that prayer list as well. Uh, We received a request even this morning from one of our radio listeners. Well, that'll be it for the announcements. I want to go ahead and ask God to bless our offertory. And that's changed since I've been here as pastor as well. Uh, We don't collect uh, with offering plates or bags as we used to. But we have an agape box in the back. And we've discovered that most people give uh, through online or through a check in the mail Uh, just have automatic withdrawals. They've set it up several different ways, but no matter how the funds come into this fellowship, this will be our 30th year of ministry. And what a blessing to have the Lord provide for this place through God's people to keep us in this city, in this county for 30 years of doing ministry. And so we want to ask God to bless the offerings that come in, no matter how they come. We want to be thankful for those and also ask God to bless the teaching of his word this morning. Father, we come before you today just grateful, grateful, Lord, for allowing our church to come into its 30th year. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us a place in this community where people can come and worship you and sometimes, Lord, come back really coming back, searching for you uh, this last couple of weeks, corresponding with someone who used to attend this church, and he's just suddenly the church is on his radar again. And Lord, I know that in reality, you're on his heart. And he's, Lord, reaching out. And I thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to be established, to be a place where people can not only come and worship, Lord, but if they as a prodigal son or daughter drift away, that we're here for them to return to. But in reality, Lord, the desire is returning to you, our Lord and Savior, that hearts, Lord, would return to you if they have drifted away. Those of us, Lord, who have been faithful, but perhaps, Lord, the Spirit has just not been influencing our hearts as it once did, Lord. We ask for a refilling of your spirit. We ask, Lord, for the lost to be saved. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to minister in this community for nearly 30 years now. So bless, Lord, the gifts given that allow us to continue to do ministry and the work that you've called us to. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless now the teaching of your word whether it's a teacher teaching a child in Sunday school or in youth group or, Lord, for us here in the sanctuary. We pray, Lord, that our ears would be open to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church, to this church this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're on week seven, chapter seven of our chronological journey through the Bible. We've been beginning at the beginning of the year here, taking all four Gospels, trying to mesh them together. That's my goal. And put them in an orderly fashion of how they uh, go from Jesus' birth until his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And we find ourselves now at the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. So I titled this week's message, The Forerunner of Christ. And this week, we are going to 
look at the witness and the light from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. We're also going to see the forerunner of Jesus, and we're primarily going to focus on Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, a bit of Matthew 3, verses 4 through 6, and John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. We're going to look at the message of John the Baptist, looking at Luke's gospel, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18, and questions for the Baptist or the baptizer, and we'll primarily, we'll stay in John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. So mark up all those scriptures in the Bible. We're going to be flipping back and forth a bit. It's a challenge, no doubt, but we're trying to lay out the Gospels as they come to us in an orderly fashion, and it brings us to a very great ministry of John the Baptizer. We know him better as John the Baptist. We left off Jesus last week after being at the temple for three days where he was asking questions, answering questions at 12 years old and Mary and Joseph finally locating young Jesus. The Bible tells us that they returned to Nazareth where he grew strong in the faith. Now we find that it's 18 to 21 years later. The dating is a little tricky because in our minds, we have before Christ and after death, the B.C. and A.D. Now they try to say before common era, and they change the meaning of those. And in fact, with the Great Reset, I've heard several times where there are those who are wanting to reset the whole world, that they're wanting a brand new calendar to go with that. So no longer would and it makes sense to me. They don't believe in God, don't believe in Christ, so why should we have our calendar system set up on the life of Jesus Christ, his uh, before Christ and after Christ, we could say. But that whole system that we have set up is a little off because we know historically that Herod the Great died in 4 BC, so the calendar is slightly off by a few years. That's why I said now, after Jesus being 12 years old, either 18 or 21 years later, if we go by that 4 BC, we have the ministry of Jesus getting ready to gear up. But before that would take place, we have his forerunner, John the Baptist. He came preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we open up in John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, and we find the witness and the light. And so the word of God tells us in verses 6 through 9, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man who comes into the world. And so we have God being now sending John, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 17, in the spirit and power of Elijah. God sent John at Jesus' first coming, just as God will send Elijah at Jesus' second coming, or prior to Jesus' second coming. 
And whether talking about John the Baptist or Elijah, God called both men, Luke 1.17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the ministry of John the Baptist is a ministry of preparation to prepare the people's hearts for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is this true light that John is speaking about here in John's Gospel, chapter 1, where he said, John came forward, verse 7, to bear witness of the light. He was not the light, verse 8, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Jesus is that true light that gives light and life to everyone. Light and life to everyone, whether a believer or an unbeliever, they have life because of the work of Jesus Christ. Whether they believe it or not, he holds our very breath in his hands. Yet without redemption, the light and life of the desired humanity that the Lord would have for us, that true light, that true life only comes through Jesus Christ. And it comes by the confession of our sin, the belief in Jesus Christ, but because Jesus paid the price of our sins upon the cross, because of his death, burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, now he offers life to all who believe in him. And that true life, all that God intended for us, is found in Jesus. In John 8, 12, the Lord Jesus said to, said to us and to the people of his day that I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. And it is necessary for us to not only believe in Jesus but to have Jesus as that foundation, to build our lives upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. So John goes on to explain to us in verses 10 through 13, and this is really significant here. John tells us, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, whether Jew or Gentile, as many as received him, to them he gave the light to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And so we find that Jesus Christ was in the world. The world was made by him. He created everything. He was in the world, but the world itself, Gentiles, did not recognize him, did not acknowledge him. They had separated themselves from the knowledge of God. As we learn in Acts 17, 26 and 27, where Paul spoke, saying, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. The Lord Jesus Christ has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell upon the face of the earth. And this is a message that has been forgotten in our world today, especially here in the United States. 
that we have been made from one blood. There's only one race in this world. It's the human race. We may have different skin tones, but we have come from one blood. And Jesus, he not only came to the Gentile nations who had separated themselves from the knowledge of God, no longer recognizing the creation of God or the work of God in their lives as it is in our day. He came to his own, referring to the Jewish people who did not receive him. And here in Acts 7, verses 51 and 52, it's Stephen talking to the Jewish people right before he's stoned by them. He, what a preacher. You stiff-necked. I love that. No seeker-friendly message there. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and realize the Jews prided themselves on the circumcision of the flesh. But he pointed out they were uncircumcised in the heart. The flesh has only part to do with it in, in the Jewish culture, of course. That's what the Lord called them to do, to be part of the covenant people of God. But you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who foretold of the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Sadly, there are various opinions concerning Jesus and his redemptive work. And we find that, and John lays it out for us here. Jesus came to the world, to the Gentiles. He came to his own, to the Jewish people. And as we continue, we discover that as many as receive him, in verse 12, it gives that various opinions. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name. And we find that there are various opinions concerning Jesus, his redemptive work. Some believe that they have inherited their Christianity from their parents. Others believe that they have obtained salvation or can obtain salvation through their good works. And I, I tell you, I've tested this. I've done surveys on this. And when I asked people and when I was a youth pastor, I would often do these surveys and I would ask them if, someone would die tonight and why they feel that they would go to heaven, the number one answer I always receive because I am good. People think that they'll go to heaven because of their good works. Still, others believe that salvation can be obtained through a group effort, through the membership of a church or other religions or some social change. Yet John teaches that salvation is not of blood, not by inheritance, nor of the will of the flesh, not by personal effort, not of the will of man, not by social collaboration, but it is of God. Verse 14 tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. Incarnation, it's a compound Greek word that means in flesh, and it refers to the uniqueness of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Though formed in the womb of Mary, Jesus was, he is the direct, unique creation of God, one who is born without our inherent sin nature. 
And John was the one, John, not John the Baptist, but the author of the Gospel of John, one of the last eyewitnesses who saw Jesus, those who, who walked with him, the twelve who walked with Jesus, John, outliving them all according to tradition. He was with Jesus, and he said there in verse 14, We beheld his glory. For three plus years, the twelve disciples walked with Jesus as he taught them. They looked upon Jesus. The Greek word uh, speaks about a careful and deliberate gaze. In other words, they studied all his features. They also touched Jesus, and they were touched by Jesus. He is the only begotten of the Father, and John says he's full of grace and truth. 2 Peter 1.16 tells us, For we did not, Peter's testimony here, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And as the light, Jesus gives light to everyone who is in the world, but especially to those who believe. Just the fact that we exist today is because of the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But God has a greater plan for everyone who lives this day. He has a greater plan than just simply existing. He desires them to know the truth that can only be found through Jesus Christ, that light that can only be found through Jesus Christ. And so we meet the forerunner. Now, as we mesh the Gospels together, we find that Matthew in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Mark in chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and John Chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, they all speak about the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. We're going to look at Matthew and a bit of Luke's and John's accounts here. Not going to tackle Mark's account in this, as he pretty much, Matthew and Mark, pretty much uh, are very similar in their accounts in this section. And we begin in Luke's Gospel in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We find a voice crying in the wilderness. And it's important that we begin with Luke because he gives us a timeline of these events. Luke tells us, chapter 3, verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor over Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch of Iteria and the region of Trachonitis, Licinius, the Tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. So Luke gives us a timeline by explaining it was in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, who ruled Rome from 14 AD to 37 AD. So historically, we can match this up. It brings us to right about 29 AD when John came on the scene preaching the gospel. Jesus would come shortly thereafter. So a tetrarch, in the Roman sense, means a fourth of, one-fourth. That's what the word means. And so it's basically telling us that Herod the Great's kingdom that he had ruled over was divided by four between these four men that was mentioned to us 
in Luke chapter 1. He also mentioned two high priests during this time, Annas and Caiaphas. According to Numbers chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible tells us that once a high priest came to his physician, he was high priest for life. But the Romans, who ruled over this region at the time and ruled over the Jews as well, they did not like the proper, the correct high priest. And so they had put his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in that position. And that's why both are mentioned. And we will find that both will play into the account of Jesus Christ. Jesus will, in fact, when he is put on trial, stand before both of these men. One was the true high priest, the other the recognized high priest. And so we're able by Luke's timeline to kind of calculate when these events took place in history. In verse 2, we pick up again, reading from the second half of verse 2 all the way through verse 6. And the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness... And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John had been filled with the Holy Spirit. We learn this in Luke's gospel from his birth. In fact, the angel Gabriel said it would be so, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth or in his mother's womb. And then we have the testimony of Elizabeth to Mary saying, As soon as I heard my Lord's voice, The baby was filled with the Holy Spirit, leaped in my womb. But here we find that John, though filled with the Spirit from his birth, even in his mother's womb, now begins his ministry at the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, verse 2 tells us, the word of the Lord came to John. So he waited until the Lord gave him direction to begin that ministry. He did not start until the word of the Lord came to him. And the call of God upon a person's life is so important. Yes, there is the universal call of all believers. As we have in our four points that our church motto of believe, receive, grow, and go. And that fourth point coming from Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 to go therefore and preach the gospel. There is the universal call to all believers, but I believe there is also a time when God will specifically call individuals to do his work, and that could mean a specific call for a man to be a pastor, a man or woman to be a worship leader. Notice how I worded that. It fits Bible. Uh, those to be an evangelist, Sunday school teachers, or missionaries. We can expand that list even further. And here's a neat thing. Today, to be a missionary, you can be an online missionary. You can minister to people on the other side of the world. God has given us a great ability. But knowing that you've been called by God gives a needed confidence to do the work of God. 
knowing that you have been called by God gives the needed confidence to do the work of God. I can tell you this. If I was not convinced that the Lord had called me to preach the gospel, to be a pastor, it probably would not have helped Lily to be convinced at the same time that this call was legitimate. When I was in, uh, uh, Lily and I both in our late 20s, I was 28 years old when the Lord put this call on my heart. It caused us a few years later to sell our home, sell a lot of the stuff that we had. It was a great downsizing moment. Got to fit your whole house into a 24-foot truck that included a motorcycle, so I did have to uh, <laughs> hang on to that one. And uh, moved to California that I could attend the School of Ministry. But it was kind of me holding back a little bit and the Lord giving my wife Lily saying, when things were not working out that summer well and there was questions going on, a recurring thing came from Lily's mouth. That's because we're supposed to be in California. That's because we're supposed to be in California. Hey, stubborn man, get it in your head. I believe that God has called you too and we are not in the right place right now. He'd bring us back to this area. But I can tell you that it was the Lord's call that gave us the courage to go out to a place that we'd never been and to kind of restart again, to get myself in a situation that I'd never been in before. And it took me a midterm test to realize that I could actually accomplish what the Lord had sent me there to do. I was unsure until I took my first midterm Greek test. And I looked at it before I even answered one question on that test. It's like, I can do this. But it was more so the call of God that kept us there. When times are hard, it's the call of God that keeps us going. When times are good, it's the call of God that keeps us doing the ministry that he called us to. And I believe that the call is important. John's role was to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. His message was simple. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and the Lord Jesus Christ would come on as we will read in Luke's Gospel chapter 4 preaching the very same message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So John himself, it tells us a little bit about his ministry in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John's ministry, he actually ministered in a remote location. He wore strange clothing. He maintained a strange diet. I could see it today. Let's have the diet of John the Baptist. It could be an online ministry that you could have right now. You could probably make some money off it. You could sell wild locusts and honey, or locusts and wild honey, I guess. There would be people who would, who would take you up on it. And then you could have the whole clothing line as well. 
camel hair and you know this leather belt. Got to wear the leather belt, the utility belt. Yet the people, even though he ministered in a remote location, wore strange clothes, ate a strange diet, the people flocked to hear him. Still more, the people came seeking repentance through faith in God, and they were baptized by him. And it was not customary for Jewish people to be baptized. This was something that was set aside for proselytes, those who had come to the Jewish faith, a Gentile who came into the Jewish faith, they would be baptized, but Jews didn't get baptized. And yet God was so pricking their hearts as a sign of repentance, they went to the water. It was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of preparation, preparing the people's heart to receive Jesus, the one who could truly wash away their sins. Peter would speak in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, saying, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you prepared your heart for the coming of Jesus? Know this, that Jesus, according to the word of God, is coming a second time. Have your hearts, speaking as a whole, have we been prepared for his second coming? In John chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, back to the gospel of John, picking up in verses 16 through 18, John tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm starting in verse 14. I did read that, but we'll keep going. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who was in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him to you. So John saying, he came to bear witness John telling us about the ministry of John the Baptist, who bore witness of Jesus, crying out, saying, This is he who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now we know that according to the word of God, that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, but also that John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. And so the Bible tells us when Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy that Mary went to stay with her for around three months, we assume. So he was older, and John explains that he was preferred before me. It really speaks about a bit of the mystery of the deity of Jesus Christ, his position in heaven. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, the word of God tells us, Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider himself robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness of men. So Jesus Christ preferred before John the Baptist. Jesus has existed, always has existed. 
But for a season he came during his first coming to walk among humanity, the humanity that he had created. And once again, I remind you that the Lord, according to the word of God, is coming again. Now regarding the law of Moses, the core of this law is found through the Ten Commandments, something that our own nation now is trying to erase, trying to take it from public places, from courtroom walls. We today do not want people to consider that you should have no other God before me, that you should not take God's name in vain, that you should remember your father and mother, obey your father and mother. In fact, we have a government-run school system, whether you're talking about public school, grade school to high school, to colleges, to universities that are trying to break the bond of the children and their parents. Very sad. They don't want to be reminded that we shouldn't steal. I was just reading an article uh, before church this morning of a young man who robbed a conductor on a train in Chicago, robbed a conductor at gunpoint, stole around $100, and his mom saw the image, even though he was masked and had a hood on, She's like, that's my son. And she took him to the police station, turned him in. That's how it should be, right? But the article, the defense, uh, he didn't get out on bail. But whoever the judge was trying to get his bail to be set very low that he could get out, The lawyer reminded the judge saying, you know how it is. You came out of a poor background. And the judge came back, and I don't know if the judge was male or female, but the judge responded and said, though I came out of a similar condition, and the uh, defense attorney saying that he robbed because he was hungry and he wanted some food. The judge said, even though I was hungry, I would never rob anybody. There was a standard, and it's like, no bail. This kid is going to stand trial. Thou shalt not steal. Today it's okay if you steal if you're hungry, apparently. There's no such set standards. So we know that through the law, the Ten Commandments, the base of that law through Moses, since the giving of the law, no one has been able to keep the points of the law. And that was designed by God to show us that we cannot, that I am good, You know, if you're going to die and go to heaven today, why would the Lord accept you into heaven? And the number one answer being, I am good. And all God would have to do is take the Ten Commandments and start running through the list. And no one would be able to stand. James said in James 2.10, break one point of the law, you've stumbled in one point, you're guilty of them all. And for a time, God gave humanity the sacrificial system of atonement, especially through the uh, Jewish people. But even before that sacrificial system was laid out for us in the book of Leviticus, we find it from Genesis to Exodus. And uh, it was before the Jewish people came about that they were 
offering sacrifices to God. And for a time, God gave the sacrificial system, the shedding of blood, that people could come into a personal relationship with God, that they could find that covering for their sins. That word in the Greek for covering is propitiation. As the word of God tells us in 1 John 2, 2, that he himself is the propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. And the first covenant was good. But man's inability to keep the law made the law ineffectual. It could not save them. And God intended it to be so. That it would point us toward Jesus. In Galatians 3 verses 23 and 24 it tells us, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And just as God's word moved John, remember, John from his mother's womb was filled with the Spirit of God, a unique individual. But the word has promised us that as believers in Jesus Christ, we too can have that filling of the Holy Spirit's in our lives. The Holy Spirit, singular, sorry. In our lives. May the Spirit also fill us and move us to the work that He has called us to. Once again, we find all four Gospels speaking about the message of John the Baptist. And so we find in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, Mark chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, Luke 3, verses 7 through 18. We're going to concentrate on this one. And also we're going to look at John 1, 19 through 28. And the proclamation that John the Baptist gave to the multitudes when he came preaching repentance and the coming kingdom of God. We learn in Luke 3, verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, again, man, this was a preacher. Why would people want to come? You make me feel so guilty. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? It even makes me want to shout a little bit while I'm reading it. <laughs> Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And John knew that the Jewish people were not bearing fruit worthy of repentance. So he called them to repentance. They believed that their heritage could save them. We have Abraham as our father. Today, we find many. I was raised in the church. My parents were Christians. And many rely upon a faith of inheritance. But that is not true faith. It didn't work for the children of Israel. It doesn't work for us today. Notice that he said the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Notice that root is singular. Tree is in the plural form. The root refers to the covenant of God with Abraham. Refers to that 
Abrahamic covenant that God had with his descendants, the Jewish people. But the trees refer to each individual. And so though the axe was laid at the root, instead of destroying the root, God judges the individual trees or people. The fruitful would remain, but those who were not producing fruit, the unfruitful, they would be cut down and thrown into the fire. They were ultimately would experience the wrath of God. But this is not the plan of God. He desires for each one of us to come to repentance. Paul, speaking before King Agrippa in Acts 26, verses 19 and 20, said, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. Believing in Jesus Christ today is not merely just receiving Jesus as your Savior and then returning to the life as normal, as you had lived it before. Our faith in Jesus Christ should not only change our hearts, it should change how we conduct ourselves in this world. We have to do works befitting of repentance. We have to act like Christians in this world, not conduct ourselves as the unbelievers do. The problem with the Jews here, they were satisfied with the faith that had been passed on to them by their forefathers, and they were not building their lives upon the good foundation that had been laid for them. They had the foundation, the roots, but they were not building their lives upon that foundation. It's a danger that we can also find ourselves in today. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 6, verses 47 and 48, Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like, whom he is like. He is like the man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, it could not be shaken, for it was founded on the rock. Something that I learned over the years reading this house being, whether built on the sand or built on a firm foundation, and and God gave Lily and I a great lesson, our whole neighborhood, a great lesson on the meaning of this a few years ago. But a house built on the sand, we know it will sink. When the rains come and uh, the weather is bad, it will not stand. But a house that is built on a firm foundation, it will endure the storm. Notice that it does not say that the storms will not come. So the lesson that our whole neighborhood learned a few years ago was a hailstorm that came into our neighborhood the very day that I'd had hernia surgery and shouldn't have been boarding up a window that night. But the hail busted through the glass and uh, we had hail and water in our house, so... I had to kind of secure the house as it was that evening, and I was on pain meds. I didn't feel a thing anyway, so that was all good. The storm lasted maybe 10 minutes. It went by so quick, I couldn't get my phone. You know, when you're nervous, you can't quite get things to work fast enough. I wanted to record it, but I didn't. Lily was like, John, get away from the window, and I'm like at the window, hey. So I'm not too smart when storms come. 
The storm came, but our houses, every house in the neighborhood stood. We had either dented or holes in the sidings. As I said, one of our windows broke through. We have 17 windows in our house. 11 of them had damage. The roof was a brand new roof that was only eight months old. Had to be redone. $8,000 damage on my truck. About the same for Lily's car. But the house stood. It endured the storm because it was on a firm foundation. In life, we build our life upon Jesus Christ. Though the storms come, we can endure It doesn't mean that we won't get beat up in this life. It doesn't mean that the storms won't come. But we can endure when we build our lives on that firm foundation. And we are to daily build our lives upon that rock, Jesus Christ, that we would not be shaken. So we read in Luke 3, verses 10 through 14, the tax collectors, the people, the soldiers. And the people asked him, saying, they're asking John the Baptist, what shall we do then? They're being convicted. They're being baptized. And they're asking now, what are we to do? Verse 11, Luke 3, verse 11. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, two coats, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. The tax collectors came also to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what was appointed for you. Or what is appointed for you? Verse 14, the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? And he said, Do not intimidate anyone or indict falsely. Be content with your wages. So John taught three people or groups of people, the common people, the tax collectors, the soldiers. He taught all of them to do uncommon things. He taught the common people to do acts of charity who normally might ask, have you ever heard maybe a statement like this, why should I help others when my need is so great? Have you ever heard anyone kind of say that, I can't help them because, man, I need, I need this myself. I've probably thought it myself before. To the tax collectors, who are known for their dishonesty, they were only to collect the taxes appointed to them. And their system... Rome was happy if they received the required amount. So let's say, as we'll read about Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, he was in the area of Capernaum. He had a set amount that he had to give to Rome, but any amounts over that he could keep for himself. Tax collectors, they were dishonest people. John said, only collect what is required to the soldiers. He said they had a position that they could use to intimidate, to indict people, but they were to learn contentment. They were to learn to live within their means. And this is a message that Paul taught to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we were brought into this world with nothing and certainly will be carried out that way Having food and clothing, with these we should be content. And in verses 15 through 18, we find this great expectation of the people as we continue in Luke's gospel. Verses 15 through 18, now the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. 
And John answered, saying to them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. So rather than answering, are you the Christ? John actually spoke about the coming Christ, the ministry of Jesus Christ. John, his forerunner, spoke about the work of Jesus Christ, what he would do. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, which is different than believer's baptism, that which we practice today. Although both use water as the element, John's baptism prepared a people's heart for the coming of the Messiah. Believer's baptism points us back to the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. John spoke about the baptism of Jesus differently. The elements of Jesus' baptism was the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to that gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to each one who believes that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our redemption according to Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. But also, I believe that there's that possibility of a further filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I purposely, and it's been out there for a long time, one of the pictures in the foyer is of a cracked vase with a hand pouring water into it and water leaking out. I have that in our foyer to remind us that we're all crackpots. We need to know this. And we all leak. And we need the continual filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus told his disciples before his ascension in Acts 1.5, Truly, the baptism of John was with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said these words to his disciples, whom he had already spoken to them, breathed on them, and said, Receive the Holy Spirit in John 20.22. 20, and it tells us that though believers receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Upon their salvation, there is a further filling of the Spirit that is available to all who believe. The baptism of fire, I believe it can be taken two ways. First, it can refer to the Lord's purging work in our lives, where he burns up and purifies our lives, burns up those things that account for nothing and purifies our lives as believers. And of course, it can refer to the fire of judgment that will come upon all those who do not believe. But do we have that great expectation of Jesus' second coming? We should, as the Word of God teaches us. You know what? I'm going to stop it right now, and we'll pick it up next time we're in the gospel. I try, but uh, I know I'm in trouble when my notes get to a certain length. Or I could say, I know you're in trouble when my notes get to a certain length. And so even though, I'll just cut and paste and we'll have our point one, beginning with questions for John the Baptist. 
Next time I teach, as I had said, Pastor Kevin will be teaching for us next Sunday here in the pulpit. Let's go ahead and stand. The worship team coming to lead us in worship. And I want to be down front to pray for those who might have a prayer need. I want to remind you, even if you don't come to me physically, but have a prayer need and just want to come and kneel and pray before the Lord. A few years ago, 2019, we remodeled our church sanctuary. Not quite finished, but we got new cheers carpet. And I included two prayer benches that are down front. I included these, and I know it's not common in churches today, but I included them because a young man of 20 years old, me, my heart was struggling for about two and a half years, seeking God's will for my life. And a lot of that struggle took place in my dad's church, kneeling at the prayer benches during an altar call. Rarely did I talk to my dad about it. He often would get mad at me if I did. (laughs) Father and sons. It can be tough sometimes. But uh, I knew I could talk to Jesus about it. So maybe you just need to talk to Jesus about something today. The prayer benches are available for you. Father, we thank you for your word that you have presented to us. We have seen such a great example from people coming to hear John the Baptist, who, a guy who spoke in a remote location, wore strange clothes, ate strange food, and even preached hard messages. And yet the people's hearts were convicted, and they wanted to not only be baptized to show the repentance that they desired, but to live changed lives. Lord, we need today people's hearts to be convicted in such a way that we would not only come to that place of repentance through faith in Jesus Christ, that we would not only build our life on that firm foundation of Jesus Christ, but we would build our lives upon that foundation. Lord, I pray today that if there is one who does not know you as Savior today, they would surrender their heart to you. If there are those, Lord, who have just been backslidden today, Lord, it'd be a day of renewal, a day of return, and the prodigal returning to the Father. Others, Lord, that just have a a struggle that they've been dealing with, and they just need to come and kneel and pray. However you desire to work among us, Lord, here in this building, whether listening on the radio, through social media, Lord, you work through your spirit however you seem fit. We are your people. We open our hearts toward you this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.